Hello, boys and girls. In this episode of Cloud Security Podcast, I speak with Stu Hurst. He is a principal cloud security engineer at Just Eat, which is a food delivery system based out of the UK. They have offices in Canada and some of the other parts of the world. We speak about how they deal with cloud security in a multi-cloud environment, the challenges for recruiting in a field which is getting complex by the day, especially when you think about all these cloud security providers coming out with multiple releases every year. And we also talk about how someone who may be coming into an organization for the first time where cloud security has suddenly become important, how do you start or where do you start? It's a really interesting conversation, especially if you come from a background where you haven't done cloud security before, you would find value on how to get started on a new role that you may have found in your organization. And we also talk about the challenges for recruiting. This is a great episode. Um, if you are in Scotland, you would probably uh, get a shout out to you guys for picking up Stu and also the community that he has built. So we got a lot of love and support from them. So thank you for that. And if you are listening to this episode and if you find value, please do share it with other people. Growing this podcast means we get to get more interesting guests like Stu and others who we have had in the past. So do share it with anyone who you feel would get value from this or who wants to learn about cloud security. If you do have any suggestions for a new topic and would you would like to share that with us, we are reachable on the contacts in our show notes, but we would love to hear from you whether you like the show, you hate the show, what can we improve in the show or what topics should we cover in the show. We love hearing from you, so I'm looking forward to hearing back from you as well. Before we go into the episode, a quick word from our sponsor because this would not have been possible without them. So a quick word from the sponsor and then we get into the episode. Let's do that. Hey, what's up, everyone? A lot of people ask me how do I get started on a podcast. One of the easiest ways that I've found to start a podcast is through an app called Anchor. They have a web version and a mobile version. The best part about the app is that you can record directly from your phone. And they have background music that you can use along with your podcast as you do introduction. It has tons of features for podcasts. The best part is it takes care of the distribution as well. It distributes to Apple, Google, Spotify, some of the major providers of podcasts. So they take care of the distribution and also on top of it, they pay you money for running ads on your podcast. So to get started on your podcast today, head to anchor.fm. Also check out help.anchor.fm where they have a lot of useful information for people who are starting out on podcasts. So just go out and start your own podcast today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Security Podcast. Today's guest is Stu Hurst. It gives me immense pleasure to welcome him to the show because I have a lot of offline interaction with him, online interaction with him. So I have been really looking forward to this episode. Welcome, Stu. Glad to have you on the episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to, to speak to you and to be on. Oh, awesome. Well, for people who don't know you and don't really follow you on Twitter and don't really get your jokes on Twitter, how do you um, <laughs> explain what, what you do and how you got into cybersecurity? Yeah, so I've been in, what were we, 2020, so I've been in about nine years. I've been in IT over 20, um, was a mainframe developer for um, the, the main bulk of the, the um, start of my career. Um, and then I, I've, I've mentioned this on a few kind of podcasts. I, I joined a company called The Train Line in the UK 
um, and sort of morphed into doing PCI related work, um, which just got me into the whole cyber security world or, or whatever terminology you want to use for, for what we do. Um, and, then, and then just a number of years really upskilling in, in that area. And um, I've been lucky enough to be, be a few um, awesome companies over the last few years. Um, and really just kind of, yeah, yeah, learning as we go and, and, and trying to build teams at, at cool companies. Um, I've morphed into this cloud world of late, which the last company I was at, it, I kind of made a deliberate decision to um, to sort of shift into that because it, it needed looked at and needed dealt with. Um, and then I'm now at Just Eat, which is, um, you know, one of the uh, one of Europe's biggest kind of food delivery and, and online ordering services and um, heading up cloud security there with a really, really cool team split over the UK and Canada. Um, yeah, and, and just really getting my teeth into all things cloud security, which is still very new, very niche, um, you know, lots, lots to get to get stuck into, and it's, re it's really exciting. So yeah. that, that's kind of where I'm at. And, and a lot of those things have been through no rhyme or reason as to how I've got into those. The I would, I would say my transition into security was probably luck more than judgment. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm super glad that I did because I, I love it and I'm very passionate about it. Um, but it, I didn't pursue that career. I, di I didn't pursue going into that part of technology. I just sort of found myself there. Um, right. And I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm glad we are here because I really get along with you, at least from the first few conversations I've had with you. So I'm glad I've got uh, someone as you in the cloud security space. And what, what a podcast to be on to talk about cloud security, right? Cloud security podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so, and probably the obvious question, um, that I guess people would, and I ask this every time as well, what is cloud security for you? Like, what does that mean for you? Yeah, I, I think there's a number of different facets to it, really. Um, the role I'm certainly in personally at the moment is, is heavily around the infrastructure of, uh, of cloud. So, um, you know, the various cloud providers and how how those infrastructures are, are built uh, and secured. There's obviously other areas of, of cloud. You've got kind of SaaS products, which are, you know, many of those are, are now cloud-based, um, which you then consume as part of your, your business so that, you know, yep. there's a need to protect um, data and, and, um, and things within those. So that, I think it, it covers it covers a number of different areas. Um, it, it's still quite new for a lot of companies. I, I'm lucky. I work in the internet um, economy, and uh, and that and that's powered by the the cloud. Really, I mean that you know, if if you're any reasonable internet company worth its salt, you, you, your your applications are being built in the cloud. That's just sort of how it is. Um, yeah. But I totally understand that for a lot of other businesses, bigger, more traditional. Um, uh, machines or, or corporate businesses are either just starting to make that transition or, or, or maybe thinking about it. Um, I'll be surprised if there aren't any businesses in this day and age that aren't in the cloud in some way, shape or form. So whether that's just you, you know, consuming cloud applications or whether they're actually starting to build, build in there. So yeah, I, I still, I still think it's pretty niche. I think it's a, a subset of the security industry as well. I mean, a lot yeah. of the things that we've had to do, with more traditional networks we're now i guess replicating in the cloud but having to do it a different way just because of the way that the cloud is um the cloud is built um so yeah that, that's kind of where i find myself and and that's you know, i don't think there's a huge amount of people 
uh, industry-wide um, really uh, invested in, in cloud security. There's it's a subsection of yeah the rest of that yeah, security industry of which is quite small anyway. Yeah, that's an interesting one because I do want to get into recruiting for a cloud, especially because to your point, it's so it's cloud security is so new that a lot of people are still trying to figure out whether it's just infrastructure or is it infrastructure and application. How what like I mean and the cloud service providers like AWS or Amazon, uh, Azure. Google Cloud, everyone slaps the shared responsibility model as well. So it's almost like, and that gets even more complex when you talk about enterprise, whether it's an internet company or just your traditional banks or anyone else. Um, before we get into that, I wanted to ask, so you mentioned your focus is infrastructure and application is an internet company as well. So you have people, your colleagues on application or what other, I guess, security streams exist in Just Eat? Yeah, so we've got... I I suppose a, a traditional setup, if that's what you want to call it, it's what I'd expect from any reasonable business, uh, regardless of what you call the, the team name. So we have a security operations team dealing with um, incident response and alerting and um, threat hunting uh, and things. And then we have a, an application security team. So all, all, all things code and, and how to build um, secure product. Um, uh, and then more traditional kind of awareness, risk, and compliance. You know, a, a sort of small function dealing with that. Even yeah. though, I mean, the work the work we do at this company is, you know, we don't do sort of death by PowerPoint or, <laughs> or kind of <laughs> Thank God for that. online training. Yeah, <laughs> sort of boring online training platforms. The teams that are working in those areas are always looking for really cool things to work on. Um, oh, right. I've seen different companies use different terms for these kind of teams. So. SecOps is SecOps, but sometimes application security is called product security, um, yeah. depending on um, on the kind of company. Cloud security sometimes gets merged or morphed into just an infrastructure security team or, or platform, maybe, I've, I've seen used um, yeah. I think I was talking to one of the, actually not one of the, one of the episodes that we called <laughs> the Cloud Security Podcast. I spoke to the product security uh, director of Dow Jones. And his role was kind of expanding b between infrastructure application, but for all the products in Dow Jones. So there is that version as well, where someone may not have the title of cloud security, but technically they're looking after everything in a cloud context because Dow Jones yeah. is primarily AWS. So, and uh, talking about primarily AWS, are you guys multi-cloud or uni-cloud? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, we, we are you know, fairly public about being uh, multi-cloud for different reasons. Um, I think that's a sensible approach for, for various reasons. Um, the cloud providers, some of them are better at some things than others, which is, I, I don't want to sort of call that out or, or name that particularly, but you might find one does something a little bit better than another one. And that might be why you, you choose to use um, different ones, obviously resiliency um, yep. uh, considerations there to, to um, spread risk. Um, potentially, um, so yeah, no, we're, we're we are multi-cloud, but but a um, yeah a cloud-first company, I guess, is probably what you would um, describe it as. So also, I guess because a lot of companies, um, I guess non-internet-based companies, banks and stuff, a lot of them in Australia at least are kind of going down that path where they're saying they're going to go SaaS, SaaS first, <laughs> then a PaaS, then an IaaS. Is that yeah. a similar model for you guys as well? Yeah, we, we've been in AWS for, for a reasonable amount of time. Um, so, 
everything we do is, is cloud first, really. I mean, it would be very unusual for us to be looking at anything that, that isn't cloud, unless there was a specific business reason to do that. Um, and there are in, in lots of different companies uh, as to why they would potentially want either their own data centers or, or physical um, kit within their own offices to do certain things. Um, it just depends on the on the need of the business. I mean, I'm not I'm not in the world of, of banking or, or government where you know the, there's obviously data requirements and, and um, protections that need to be in place that perhaps make cloud more difficult. Um, I think when I, I worked at Capital One for a short period of time, sadly a bit a bit shorter than I was hoping, but was for a bank before the incident. No, this was a few years ago. Um, so, well, I'm just checking. Um, well, it, it's they're very interesting in that you know one of the best teams I've ever worked with, actually, and and very proud to have, have worked there. And they're they are not fully in the cloud 100%, but certainly their American business had a um, expectation to be fully cloud over a period of time. And everything you know, their cloud team is is incredible, actually, and has uh, got some very clever people in it. And so, for a bank of that size to be so close to being a fully cloud company um, is, is impressive. And I think that just shows how how the world is moving and how tech is moving. And, and some of those traditional ways of thinking about securing networks has just, has just shifted. And it's, as I said, I just think, I feel if you're a company that hasn't leveraged the cloud yet for a number of different reasons, I, I, I'd be keen to hear why that is because mm. The companies that I see that are, that are really innovating and really flying and doing well yeah. seem I mean, to be quite only cloud-based. other example you hear of people who kind of moved into cloud and moved out of cloud were these are big giants again. Uh, Dropbox is an example. Facebook was an example. These guys went on cloud, but then they realized the compute over there was not enough. But yeah. for average population of people using tech, I think cloud is a huge step from what the traditional data center has been. It's yeah. Really, I think uh, a friend of mine went to the U.S. and he was saying they have a very different problem. And I don't know if this exists in the U.K. or Scotland as well, but they were saying that they have problems with hundreds and thousands of accounts, like AWS accounts. Is this something that you see, like the scale of usage of public cloud? Do you see, like, either yourself or your colleagues uh, in other companies? Do you hear much about that in the U.K. where people are talking about? like the scale of public cloud that they have to deal with in terms of environment? Yeah, a little bit. I suppose to touch on the, the Dropbox point, they did a really good blog about their reasons for shifting some things out of um, out of Amazon into their own data center. I mean, they, I think the business reason for them was that, you know, they're storing such a huge amount of data that it, yeah. I think it was actually much cheaper for them to do it themselves than it was to have it in, in Amazon. Um, what was the cost on the uh, computer? Uh, yeah, I'm sure compute will be as part of that as well. You know, the speed at which they could potentially get um, get access to historic data. But there was a, there was a very specific set of business cases as to why they did that. And I don't think they're fully out of AWS. I think they still run applications in AWS from what oh, I've right. I'd, I'd have to dig it out and have a look. Yeah, well, they had the other problem. They want to be out of the cloud and into their data center, whereas everyone else is trying to get out of the data center. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. So, but again, every business is different and has has its reasons for for doing what it what it does. I think on the, the sort of environment scale, um, again, it depends where you're at. I mean, I watched a great talk recently from uh, Chris Farris, which he was talking at uh, reInvent. Uh, I think he's at um, the Warner Group or, or whatever that's called now, and I think they 
that that group is you know x amount of companies um, absorbed into that group and i think on that talk when he talks about how to use guard duty and do threat hunting i think they've got over 800 accounts in aws um oh. so that i mean that to me is huge scale um yeah yeah and it's a really it's, it's worth watching as a talk just to see how they've started to address threat intel across such a huge range of um of accounts oh yeah i'll definitely link that in the show notes i think that's a good one i think there was in the um slack channels as well well i guess the slack channels that you and i share it was definitely there as well he's a he's a, he's a solid dude yeah definitely, yeah. definitely worth following uh on the research and the work he's doing so in terms of scale if you're looking at so what do you what is your strategy for now you because you're being multi-cloud what are your thoughts around folks who are multi-cloud themselves? How do you deal with it? Or how are you trying to deal with it if it's the onset of it? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I would say the one, I, I mean, I'm upskilling in cloud every day and I work with some really smart people who teach me lots of cool things. <laughs> um, and I would say the one thing that I initially struggled with in in creating a team of you know of cloud security and how to address cloud security at a major business is what do you go after first you know what, what do you care about you know you could have hundreds of accounts yeah you could be split across numerous cloud providers for various reasons you know you have conflicting priorities across all sorts of teams you know there's such a myriad of things to to care about um so i went back to basics a little bit um, of risk, uh, you know, not, not the, I keep saying this, but it's not the super sexy stuff, unfortunately, <laughs> when it when it comes to some of the things we can do, but it was like, what should we care about, um, across these environments and infrastructures? So, you know, I don't reinvent the wheel with these things. There's a lot of good frameworks out there. I did an article recently that's out this week on, um, you know, there's places you can go and get a lot of reasonable frameworks for cloud. So, um, CIS benchmarking and NIST and the MITRE framework. Um, it might not be a, a sort of one size fits all, but it, those kind of things should give you at least an understanding of where to start. So what, what I've fundamentally done at this company so far is built a risk framework that allows us to understand what it is we care about and why we should care about those things. And then any piece of work we now do essentially aligns to any of those risks of which they're you know risk rated and, and reviewed um constantly really so we're always able to justify why we're doing certain pieces of work over other pieces of work the, the premise being it's reducing risk in certain areas that we know to be um potentially um, more serious than, than something else um right. so that, that that's kind of where i started i think the other thing that's super important when you either come into these kind of jobs or you're somebody starting in cloud security is you just need to understand the environment and i don't just i don't just mean the cloud environments that you would be responsible for the first six weeks in this job i did nothing but speak to people you know right. anybody anybody and everybody from engineering finance hr whoever i could speak to just to understand their world their job what applications they use what data they're they're potentially uh, using um, just to get a feel for for the things that go on, and I think that's important in security because we're not just siloed. Um, you know, we, we tend to consider things across a whole <laughs> yeah. business. Talking about yeah. silos, how does 
the de deployment pipeline look for you guys as at what point does security get involved is it the beginning where if suppose i guess you can take it either as a new product being launched by just chief or you can talk about existing products being updated however you're going to take it yeah how do you approach security in just sheets for any yeah product? i mean I, I guess i can't i can't go into too much detail well, of course yeah i get that um, we're, we're, we're very into um you know DevSecOps and everything being as far left as possible uh, you know to use the the shift left terminology that we probably all pretty bored so on now but i guess what i was um, going with that was is automation being the success or the key to success for cloud security in in cloud yep. what are your thoughts on that yeah, it's obviously really key, isn't it, to to much of what we're doing. Um, not not just in cloud security, but I think security in in general and engineering in general. So, you know, we're always looking to automate processes um, and procedures as, as best we can. I think the way that the cloud is built and the the functionality of the cloud providers makes it interesting to use automation in a way we haven't used before. Um, uh, we're really keen at the moment on exploring the whole auto remediation piece, in, especially in AWS. You know, so somebody does something that, that that is potentially risky, and you can auto remediate as soon as they've done that. So, um, or like a lambda function or something. Yeah, and you're you're effectively reversing their decision. So you you can start small with these things. You can, you know, a, a behavior is seen and you can alert on it. So maybe that's the first step. You 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 automate your alerts so that you can see that something's happened. Maybe yeah. you go and you know carry out some kind of manual task to to deal with that or or ignore it. it you know, it could be just a an alert you you're not going to do anything with. And then you <clears throat> excuse me, you go into more you know can we take retrospective or very quick retrospective action on that um that behavior or that that thing um so, so we're, yeah we're sort of heavily looking as to where we can leverage a lot of those things with it's certainly within aws but also with the other cloud providers that we, oh, right. uh, that we use for people who are probably listening and i guess are starting off in security in cloud uh could be multi-cloud azure aws or whichever one what do you recommend as to what your point earlier so use the first six weeks to find out what the company does and mm -hmm. that's kind of next up is SDLC software development life cycle where do how, how do you recommend they approach security in cloud for a DevOps team or a pipeline based company or um, yeah I, I mean it's fundamentally massively important for you to understand the environment you know what accounts have you got what what applications do you have in the cloud what what's running where, where where's your data you know where's your card data if that's what you do where's your personal data um you know what testing environments do you do you have and then i suppose you've got to start looking into what protections you currently have in place um, you've talked about the shared responsibility model that's yeah. quite quite well established now and it, and it gives a good breakdown of what you should then look at because you know, the, the cloud providers deal with the other side and I suppose you've just got to go and see where or you know, where a lot of your protections are missing and, and then use those risk frameworks that I've talked about to start to break down okay using these frameworks are these things applicable to my business and are they the main things I should be worrying about um you you're not going to immediately jump into if you're just starting out and you're just maybe just building a team in cloud security or you're just starting to address it for the first time 
it's unlikely that in six weeks you're going to be automating the hell out of things <laughs> and using Lambda and, 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 you know, you're going to be starting with a lot of basics. You're going to be cleaning things up, firefighting yeah. some issues, um, you know, reaching out to your engineering teams to help them understand some of the, the practices a little bit better, you know, building some best practice or training programs. It, it, it you know, you're, you're not going to be one of these super duper, um, uh, you know, cloud engineering teams overnight and I think you, know, you need to do a lot of those basics first before you can then strategize what you do next it is a it's like anything in, in tech you you sort of go through a journey um yeah I suppose it's how, it's how quick you can get there um the more people you've got the easier that that becomes and that, one of the talks I do on cloud is uh, I tend to ask the crowd or the, the people watching what do they feel is the most important thing in cloud security? And I get loads of great answers, you know, S3 and um, public buckets and security groups or whatever it is. And yeah. I, I tend to say it's recruitment because you, you can have all the great ideas in the world, but if you don't have the people who can help you achieve it, then those things don't happen. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky here that I've got um, some great engineers that we, that we brought on board. Um, that's a good segue into recruitment as well. What do you recommend yeah, yeah. that people should have? And I, I think, I believe you yourself had a challenge yourself recently um, when you were trying to grow your team. So love to hear, but what do you think is yeah. size team and what kind of roles should they have? So, so we had, I joined and there was only a, um, a couple of people in the, in the team, but you know, very talented people. Um, unfortunately, uh, left for, for other roles and, and f I was fundamentally faced with two open roles to fill um across the uk and canada and you know cloud security is niche anyway and um in an industry like this you you tend to know who those people are Ge you know generally it's the same names that sort of float around at, at more senior levels yeah so i was obviously doing a lot of digging around senior cloud security engineers and reached out to a few people i knew who were who were awesome but it was hard. It was really hard work. Um, we put a senior cloud security engineer job out onto the market and didn't have a huge amount of um, sort of contact. You know, we had a few a few applications and a few interesting people to speak to, but it was slow and um, you know, it took a few weeks to to really get much back. So I had discussions with our team internally here around what kind of thing are we looking for? I mean, yeah. It, senior people to help drive certain things. But then we also considered, well, how about bringing somebody more junior in who's either transitioning from another security role or maybe a, a network engineer role, or even somebody who's been in a, a, an, a pure engineering role. Um, so I put a junior job spec out and I had, had over 200 applications for that job. <coughs> so we're talking a huge amount of people applied for for that which was just awesome and it, it took weeks to go through all the CVs and and, um, and applications uh, and that that was a bit of an eye-opener and lots of the people that I spoke to had a lot of experience and not necessarily in cloud all the time but years of experience in network teams or in IT or in support um, and then lots of people kind of coming out of university or looking for first roles in companies and that kind of thing so it made me feel that potentially maybe we're putting the wrong kind of job specs out. Maybe we're looking for too many things. Maybe we, or maybe people just don't feel confident enough that they are senior, if that's what the term is, 
it just felt like more people applied for the junior role thinking well, maybe I've got more chance of getting that than I have of the senior role even though they were not junior as I would kind of term it i.e kind of first jobs or right um or you know kind of like just out of university or, or, or new to the so did the senior role companies. have both application and infrastructure in cloud or was it at your point earlier it's just it was just focused on infrastructure but people just felt well I haven't worked in cloud yeah. long enough so the the senior job spec wasn't it wasn't too different from the junior one um it, it asked for a couple of different things that potentially things like ansible or terraform or cloud formation but but not in any real detail not not a not a super technical level but um we also didn't demand that people needed all three of the main cloud providers it was like you know knowledge of one is probably enough because you can learn the other ones of course I just wonder if the term senior and the connotations of the term senior uh, from an experience point of view just put a lot of people off because they felt that either they didn't have it or because they were trying to transition into more of a cloud role that, that they just thought, well, I haven't been a senior cloud engineer, therefore I'm, I'm not going to apply for it. So that, that was just a real eye opener and, and it's changed my thoughts on, on future hiring and, and how we go about doing that. So even if we put out a junior spec, but then yeah. we hire somebody, but then they come in at a bit of a higher level, that's yeah. totally, that's totally fine. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting experience, but, but we've, we, you know, we've had a couple of uh, awesome people join. So anyone looking at recruiting anyone, should they open, I guess, if they have one role for senior, they probably should look at doing a senior and a junior just... Well, I just think that, and I'm not the only person that talks about this, and my, my, my boss at Just Eat, Kevin, is very passionate about this as well. I just think we put too many things on job specs for security. I think we ask for too many things, and the reality is that very few people are experts in any of those things. So we, we should probably restrict job specs to bare minimums and then if you get really awesome people who know a hell of a lot then that's great you've you know you've got what you wanted that's but right. it also just opens up the pool to lots of people who either underestimate their value or their skill set or they have imposter syndrome like me and they they, they don't feel that they're that, they're that they've got the skills to, to do it and so i think it's an industry thing i don't just think it's cloud um i see some job specs for security roles and i just yeah. think you're looking for <laughs> I don't know what you're looking for. You're looking for somebody who appears to not exist because <laughs> you're asking for almost experience in every facet of information security oh, and, yeah. and real life experience of it, which it just isn't the case. People might have a little bit of knowledge about things, but the, the reality is they won't have been in jobs where they've been able to use that. Yeah. Um, and and if they, sorry, you finish, you finish. Sorry, yeah, I was going to say that if these people do exist, you know, they're... they're, they're I hate to use the term, but they're the sort of rock stars, you know, that are probably on such massive salaries and very hard yeah. to, uh, to employ anyway. Are you talking about job descriptions where they ask for CISSP, experience with cloud, security architecture, security, yeah. <laughs> you're like, wait, if Being I'm doing engineering code. architecture, risk management, I'm, I, I'm clearly not one person. Yeah. <laughs> Either this job is like a million dollar job. Yeah, all those jobs are a sort of position that um, engineer level or, or mid-range level, and yet they seem to want the experience of a CISO or, yeah, yeah years and years of experience of driving yeah. these, this change at a huge organizations. And I think we just need to be realistic in security. There's a massive amount of talent in the industry, and there's a lot coming through and a lot coming out of great universities or people transitioning in their careers. But we need to get those people into companies. That's and right. then and then give them the ability to to upskill and to 
um, to drive change. The, uh, it, there's there's one person in my team. I, I I don't like calling out specific people because I work with a really really awesome team. But one of the people I brought in had come from another UK internet company, and he was a pure platform engineer um, who had been working on some security stuff, right? But hadn't hadn't um, done a degree in security. Hadn't you know been a a prominent security team member, but was really interested in it and had done some work in it. And we interviewed him and it was just a very easy decision and he's come into the team and within three, four months is just smashing out of the park. Um, So it's almost like those people just need the opportunity. Um, They've got such an amount of skill in certain areas and yeah, they might be missing some of the security aspects, but we can teach that and you, and you get that by being in the job. So I think I've talked on a couple of podcasts around, I think hire people who hire security professionals, need to be a little bit more realistic about what they're able to get and also what they're able to get for the money because you see some roles that are supremely underpaid for what it seems like they're asking for um you know if you want massively senior security people with a huge amount of skill set who've done it at big organizations i'm afraid you have to pay for that that's what the industry of demands course, yeah. um so similarly if you're taking on junior people new to the industry setting huge expectations of what you think they should know it isn't the way to go. So for me personally, that's that the last few months have been a real learning curve on hiring and, and what to look for. And, um, it was great to get such a huge amount of application. I mean, I, I wish I could give everybody a job, but it's just not, the, mm-hmm. it's just not how it works. What are, what are your thoughts on having someone who, to your point, you hired someone who was a platform engineer and then you gave him the skill set <coughs> of thinking like a security person while doing the same thing he may have been doing as a platform engineer. Was that, I guess obviously it depends on the right candidate as well, but what was in the job description? Like, did he apply for it? Was it through a referral? I'm just curious if the description, like for people who are listening and probably trying to recruit in the space and they yeah. would be trying to say, look for that unicorn who does cloud engineering experience as well as security architecture experience. Should they be probably try and put it more so that it opens up, say a platform engineer reading the job description like oh actually i think i'll do all of these i may not do the security thing maybe i can apply for the junior role or something else like absolutely and i i think if if you're willing to accept that you can bring people in and train them up or 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 allow them to get that knowledge that you might want to tweak your job specs to look for those kind of people Uh, let's look at what security does for, on the whole, I mean, yes, we cover whole businesses, but we're very aligned to engineering or development or whatever it is you want to call those teams. You know, the, the people who actually build things and, uh, right. and push out change. Now, you want people who are comfortable in those environments. Now, th- that doesn't necessarily mean coding, although that's valuable. It just means people who, are, who can speak that language uh, at, at a certain level. Because honestly, the security side of things can, can be taught. It, there's plenty of great material out there and courses and videos. And the theory behind it, you know, we've all had to upskill on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So having people who are just comfortable in that world and can speak to engineers at their level and their, their, their language, that's half the battle, really, because they're the people you're trying to influence and, and change. And um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of what we look for. And in a company like Just Eat, I mean, it, it's such, such a massively culturally aware company where people have got these massive ability to come in and drive great work themselves. And it's very autonomous. So it, it demands a certain type of person to be who, who's comfortable doing that. Yeah. So personally, when I, when I've interviewed some people, it's, it's less about technical ability because 
that comes that comes in time uh, it's as much about you know is this person going to fit into the culture of what it is we're trying to do um we're, we're, yeah that autonomy thing is very big in, in a lot of these kind of companies and i know, I know it is a, across other big brand names where people come in and they're not they're not told what to do on a day-to-day basis and, and we're the same in the in the cloud team the cloud security team the the, the, the people in my team are they drive the work they they decide what path we're going down and how we get there and yeah i'm just somebody that tries to bring it together at a sort of different level but yeah th- these are the smart people who make the decisions and and, and teach me you yeah. know they, they they know how to get these things done so it's um, surprising again, that how they, many times that the smart people who make a decision like this also have a good reasoning behind it as well so yeah or or sometimes it's the wrong decision but it it's right to make it. And then yep. you find out that, okay, perhaps that wasn't the, the right way to go, but, and that's how we learn and that's how we develop. And yep. um, I, I think for, we've got good examples in our wider security team of um, uh, an apprentice and then, and then some, you know, some people at a university who've come in and within six months, they're making decisions, like really important decisions about how, you know, what products we use, what, um, what, what technology we go after or how, how to change certain things and, and improve certain things. And I, and I think that's just incredible that a, a, a young point in your career or, um, you know, in, in your security career, you're able to drive that kind of change because I'm wary that it's not like that everywhere. Um, so yeah. I, I, I love these companies for that reason. I mean, it's quite, it can be intimidating for somebody like me who's, who's <laughs> I was, I was nearly <laughs> 40, but, um, you know, to see sort of 20 year olds who are smashing it. <laughs> just, just well, like, so what was I doing when I was 20 years old? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. why, why wasn't I making decisions when I was 20? I should have been leaving a company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's kind of, it's humbling really. And it's great because you, I don't think there's a barrier on who you learn from. Oh no! And, and clouds are very interesting space where um, I'm really not a super expert on a lot of it, and I've learned a lot over the last year or two in it, and really tried to invest a lot of time in learning. But it, it's from the, the people in the industry we both, you know, look to um, to get that information and to get yep. to get an idea of what to to look at. Oh, sweet! Well, that's a good segue into our second segment. If you're like me and enjoy music, you would definitely love the Spotify app. The Spotify app is one place for all your favorite artists and podcast hosts. Yeah, I know they have podcasts as well. I had no idea. It's a great spot to listen to your favorite artists for free. You don't, you don't have to pay any money for it. You just download the app from your Apple Store or your Google Play and start listening today. They have a premium version as well, which allows you to download songs for, for those times when there is no internet, which happens in some parts of the world. So it's a great app. If you haven't done this already, Go on your Spotify app, search for Cloud Security Podcast. Give us a follow so you don't miss out on an episode. Which is Mythbusters. And uh, keeping the theme of mistakes may have, which, or mistakes, not really mistakes, but more, it's more around what are the myths that you see people have about cloud security like when you talk to other people, cloud security, what do you, what is that first thing that you feel is like a myth that you would like to bust? Yeah, that it's not secure. Mm. Um, I, I've done panels and workshops specifically on cloud security in rooms of people whose businesses are not so far along their cloud journey. And it, it, there is a bit of a recurring theme of, oh, we're not in the cloud because it's insecure. 
because we lose control. We, we lose the ability to protect yeah. things. Um, I, I sense that's because if you're probably, you've got your own data centers, you've got a well-established set of controls, you know where everything is. You know, it, it, I, I sense that if you're in that world and you're comfortable with it and you've got repeatable processes and it doesn't change that quickly, that's where your world is. I think if you're then thinking about cloud with all its, you know, ability to spin things up and and close things down within seconds and, and the containerization world and serverless world where it's all just a bit crazy and we're not really quite on top of it yet. Yeah. Um, that probably presents some concern, I, I think. So I, I do see that a bit. But I think it's because until you get into it, until you actually start trying to secure in the cloud, you probably don't, probably not aware of what's capable of what you can can do um you, you know we've talked about the shared responsibility model and, and the the companies who run those cloud platforms take care of a huge amount of things that you now no longer really have to deal with yeah. you know hardware and, uh, and and some of the operating system um security yeah. the flip side is that it still allows us to make a hell of a lot of mistakes as, as engineering teams or as people who build in the cloud. But I don't think that's any different from traditional yeah, networks. Say, it's, it, it's not that, I mean, even these days, we still have, I think the way I've always looked at cloud is that where back when everyone was a small company, people were in a dorm or like, you know, a garage somewhere, they were managing their own servers. This is way before cloud and everything, right? Then we moved on to data centers, which we were managing. Then we outsourced it. Even then, at that point, I'm pretty sure I wasn't there for most of the time, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people would have still like, oh, I don't have any control. So they would have been forced yep. into that path where they had to make controls and processes, and they obviously would have made a mistake. I feel this is a similar transition. Now we are on that part where, well, data center was outsourced, but now it's outsourced completely. You just got access to a console on the internet but you can still make the same controls. You can still have the same processes. It's not that you're losing control. It's just that I feel like people get lazy or just way too comfortable. And to your point earlier, it's like, oh, this is the right thing to do. I, because I know this, I don't know cloud. So I'm just going to- or, or I think it's, I, I come back to the risk term. Um, I, I think people see it as, well, you're just going to introduce more risk at a time where we feel like we're on top of the risks that we've got. Uh, and you know that movement into cloud is maybe just going to introduce things that we're not, um, not quite ready for. I think the one, the other thing that I always hear, and it's not really security, but people just assume that the cloud is super expensive, and it absolutely can be, <laughs> depending on how how you configure it and how you use it. Yeah. Um, but it, it, if you're a company that's building product and you want to ship that product as quickly as possible and and scale, it's far easier to do in the cloud than it is on traditional. Uh, on-prem or, or, or data centers as long as and, and, and that has shaped things yeah that, that has moved moved things along and i think when we look at the security aspect of that we can scale at the same pace we just have to find out how to do it <laughs> in, in, a, in a lot of areas um yeah. we, 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 in just eat at the moment we're definitely look a lot of the processes that we're driving we're trying to be as clever as we can with them where they they cover they're scalable across any cloud platform. It doesn't really matter what the platform is or, what, or, or where in the infrastructure it is or, you know, that there is a repeatable process, an automated process that can just be rolled out wherever we feel it needs to be, to be rolled out. That, that, that's kind of a high level what we're, what we're trying to, rather than have individual processes, individual things that we have to build and maintain 
to fix certain problems yeah you know we want something that as best we can sort of covers as uh, as much of those things as we can that, that, that's very high level i wish i could go into a bit more detail but that's <laughs> that's kind of our strategic so, I mean, approach just on that same domain i guess is the sea level concerned about cloud security or do they take it seriously a big internet company i assume the answer is yes but uh, yeah absolutely yeah without a doubt i mean they're they're very security savvy anyway written not just cloud um it's one of the reasons I joined the organization is Kevin Fielder, my, my boss, had already built a, a, an awesome team here, um, you know, do, doing the right things and, and um, lots of freedom to to make decisions we think are the right decisions. Um, yeah. I've come in and been able to build a team um, and, and given the, the, the autonomy to do that. And yeah, I, I think... I think I did a, an article recently uh, where I said that I still feel like some companies and we're not one of them where the C level isn't yet quite invested in security. And, and I just wonder how many more major hacks have to come out for those boards to understand that they probably need to invest a little bit more money because it's just, it's every week, isn't it? And I actually think the cloud security side of things, we're seeing more and more incidents now than we obviously did maybe two, three years ago. Yeah, um, even though Amazon and other people are trying really hard to make it really <laughs> hard for making S3 bucket public. Yeah, or... Making it open. Yeah, I, sometimes it's, you know, there's, there's been a few more niche um, incidents that, that have happened as well, but, um, you know, we're just, we're just continuing to see major companies, well, not even major companies, but many, many companies hit by things for, for various reasons. But yeah, I think if, I, if I was just... Everyday news now. Yeah, you've got you've got lots of companies getting it right as well. Um, you know, CISOs at, at at more board level and being able to influence really at those levels, and certainly from a budgetary point of view, being able to um, get get the money they need and the people they need. I think it's just an ongoing an ongoing battle. But if companies underestimate the um, the value in it, then they probably need to speak to some companies that have been hacked. <laughs> uh, and anytime one of these these hacks comes out publicly, I always find it interesting how many job adverts go out in the weeks and months <laughs> afterwards because, you know, there's a change of direction at senior levels to say, well, hang on, no, we really have to do something about this now. We, we, that's right. We maybe didn't a year ago, and now we really yeah. have to focus on it. So I think the yeah, funniest was, uh, I think Equifax, the one of the biggest ones, uh, I met someone, I was at one of the AWS trainings and I met someone from Equifax and he was, he joked about the same thing that he got the job straight after the hack because they suddenly, everyone's like, oh my God, we need to protect this. Put it's everything probably on it, not, money at it. It's probably not the worst time to join an organization actually, because <laughs> you'll get a huge amount of input from the right people because they don't want that thing to happen again. And um, everyone's invested. Everyone's invested. It's probably the easiest time to ask for more money in people. It might not be the worst time to, um, uh, to join companies. I think the, the, there was a good article, I, I think it was about the Equifax hack, where I think one of their main security dudes had uh, just talked about, I think he did an article for the BBC about just how difficult that all was and how, how much pressure there the was on the teams and, and the PR response and, and just what that whole world felt like. And I think we, I guess we can all empathize that, you know, they're very, very difficult roles to do. And um, I, I do genuinely feel concerned when the press goes after companies that have been hacked because they don't really know what's going on behind closed doors. And yeah. um, I think it's just, it, it, it could be any of us at any point in time. Yeah. 
Like, yeah, it's a nice it's a nice story, isn't it, for, yeah. for the press? But there 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 are real people behind these things, gen, generally trying to do the best jobs they can with what they have available, and and sometimes we don't get it right. Um, yeah. So I, I I just think, yeah, if the yeah, the, the press have a have a role to play in helping companies, I think, and and just sort of continually beating down security teams is is probably not going to work long term to to get companies to no. to do the right thing but that um, also means there would always be people who would be employable as well i guess people would be like oh i want to do this from the blue team and not just be hacking it yeah i suppose it depends what it is i mean you know if it's negligent then then, then that that's different but if it there's just so many things to consider now in security teams and, and cloud is just one of those those things where I'm personally always at a level of nervousness about you can't cover everything. It's impossible to cover everything. It's impossible to say that everything is secure. It's, mm-hmm. it's just not. It's just not doable. So you're always thinking, is that is that the right thing to do? Have I missed something here? Or you're making a decision to not do something. Yeah, I've got 50 things I need to fix, and I can only fix 20 of them in this period of time. Therefore, I can't fix the other things. And do I need to do something? Do I need to find another way to get that done or risk accept or whatever it might be? And and that's the battle at any level of security, regardless of senior seniority. Yeah, that's an interesting one because that made me think, because in Australia, we had this thing called mandatory data breach notification, basically a mandate from the government to say, if you get breached, you need to notify the government in 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I was going to ask, so is there a thing in UK as well? We have the ICO, um, which is, I, I don't know the levels of data that you have to have lost, but you have to go to the ICO to say there has been an incident. We believe this data has, has uh, been compromised. Um, oh, right. Because, so yeah. the ICO are the, are the department who look at, you know, they'll end up doing the investigations as to why that happened, what was missed, you know, was the company at fault? And then they can fundamentally fine organizations if, if they feel that they, they didn't protect um, well enough. Oh, so, so compa- and, and that, that, that's obviously relating to GDPR as well, you know, so, you know, it's, it's far better regulated than I think it was 10 years ago, but yeah. I think there's still a hell of a lot of work to do. <laughs> to... And that's a good segue to my next question. If there is a breach that you well, may be part of, or you may have done it yourself, but you don't want to claim it, or uh, you may have heard of uh, from your colleagues, is there a breach that you can share where, uh, I guess, it could have been a win for blue team or it was just learning that you came, came across. Um, I've certainly dealt with a lot of incidents in the companies that I've worked for. That's probably the best. <laughs> I can. I've, ne- I've never, I've never dealt with a breach. So, um, you know, touch, touch or a security that. incident in the cloud, I guess. I, I mean, I've certainly had <laughs> incidents happen all the time of varying um, degrees. <clears throat> uh, you know, sometimes they're, alerts on things that are happening that you need to go and investigate sometimes it's um you know external parties trying things or, or bots or um, oh, right what, what is your thinking around things like bug crowd and stuff there you know how they do almost crowdfunded no it's not crowdfunded but basically crowdsourcing pen testing what are you thoughts? yeah i um so i did when i was at skyscanner in 2015 um I, we started a bug bounty with bug crowd um, and it's public now it went public last last year i think right um so yeah we we were fairly new to the to the whole crowdsource testing thing it, it, it's much bigger now and um 
you know, just eat leverages some of that that capability. Oh, um, from your experience, I, do you find it valuable? Yeah, massively, actually. Um, I, I think there's still a um, there's still a place for traditional pen testing that's always going to have a um, a place in businesses, but the crowdsource model for me had a huge amount of benefits because you're getting more people testing your applications. Um, yep. <clears throat> it's very good for uh, external facing applications where you almost want a real world view of what, what might be happening. And then you get such a, a diverse set of skill sets across those crowdsource testers that um, you find some interesting things. Yep. The gamification of it as well makes it interesting because people have to work a little bit harder to find things or yes. um, it, it, it just, uh, in the, when I've been running bug bounty schemes, I've found that the output that we get from them was more valuable than a pen test. There's value in the pen test, sure, and you find things and you fix things. But I remember rolling out that bug bounty at Skyscanner and the first, I think we, we had a two-week program, which was the private program. And we opened it up and I think we had a hundred, if I can remember the figures, I think we had 149 bugs uh, oh. in, in, the, in those two weeks, which I would struggle to have got 149 bugs out of a two week pen test. Uh, maybe, you know, but it, but if it was maybe just one person or two, or two, two people. Um, oh. And that was a bit of an, that was an eye opener, not because the product was fundamentally insecure. It was just yeah. that they were finding lots of things that we hadn't really considered. We tightened up on scope a lot after that because we sort of just went, okay, it's the wild west, go, go oh. crazy. Um, and we yeah. matured a lot, a lot in those couple of years around how to scope a, uh, yeah, maturity is an important point there, though, right? If you're not a mature security organization, it just could be basically opening opening the fire hose on security's face. It's security must it, mature it, mature enough. I suppose it. There's two schools of thought to that. There's yeah, I think you need to be at a point in time before you went to a bug bounty scheme. I don't think you would just start one of those before you had a an established security team. But at the same time, it. it it was very powerful to show engineering how many bugs were found because I, I genuinely think they just didn't appreciate what was, what external people were capable of doing. And the, the good thing about those platforms is they, um, you can force testers to show you videos of how they've, they've exploited the, you know, whatever it is they're doing or how they found that bug. And we used that information to build you know, internal workshops and little, training courses around you know like we, we did one on cross-site scripting which right. um you know here's how that thing happened and here's the video here's here's somebody actually showing you at a fundamental code level what, what they've what they've done and i think now you even get to the point where you know testers can put in remediation steps and things that you should think about and it's almost it gives a hell of a lot of information for engineers to go and upskill and and, and fix wow. it. it's not just about fixing things it's about if you've got one type of bug that comes in quickly and regularly, you know you've got a problem with that type of thing in your <laughs> in your engineering team. So yeah. you can go and not just fix those individual things, but you can say, well, okay, as a business, we are no longer willing to accept that we'll have any cross-site scripting in our in our code, and you can yeah. in various ways to go and eliminate that. Sweet, oh, so thank you. Um, I I just want to go quickly into our next section as well, which is kind of like almost goes into this, but it's a it's called the unicorn segment. Basically, it's talking about things that you do, which makes you a unicorn. It's kind of where I'm going with this, but we kind of spoke about the meetup that you have, the overarching cybersecurity stuff that you do. 
would love for the audience to hear about it as well. I'm sure we would get some Scottish fans as well. And <laughs> nice. who, who might be moving in the, into Scotland as well. So uh, could you share a bit? Obviously, love to talk about music as well, which people who would watch the YouTube video would actually see the background. But <laughs> maybe a bit about the cybersecurity work that you do outside of Just Sheets for the community. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know if unicorn, unicorn's a great term. I don't, I don't feel that at all. But um, I, I definitely do do some, some things outside my day job. I, I talk at events and I, I started a meetup a few years ago that uh, Scotland's got a great little cyber community, actually. We're, we're um, I, I think we're ahead of lots of parts of the world on cybersecurity here. We've got some great um, startups and tech businesses in, in cyber. Um, some of the best people I've worked alongside um, live, live and work here, um, either in academia or in, in business or government. Um, and we tend to all know each other, which is, you know, an interesting dynamic. And it, uh-huh. I think that's a good, that's a good thing. So of late, um, myself and, a, and a, a friend of mine in the industry, Harry McLaren, uh, started Cyber Scotland Connect, which is, it's a way to try and bring a lot of the cyber communities in Scotland together. So there's lots of great stuff going on. There's, there's the meetups that, that, that some of us are doing. OWASP, we've got um, a good, you know, great event up here. We've got some DEF CON events. We've got ISACA and, um, and lots of these, these bodies doing doing great events and then evangelizing the industry. But what we tried to sort of bring together was imagine if all these people had a, a way to talk to each other, um, a way to share information. Um, perhaps you're, you're new to the industry here or you've moved here and you're looking for information on how to attend an event or start something or, um, you know, you just want information about what universities are, 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 um, you could potentially apply to, or what companies are hiring at this point in time. Imagine just having that one-stop shop for, for all things cyber in Scotland. So that that's what we created. We're, we're you know, there's, there's myself and Harry that, that, that run it, but we've got 17 moderators um, of which anybody can be a moderator. Um, and those people sort of take care of certain parts of, of the, the the industry and community that, we, that we've tried to build so it's fairly unique I can't think of or haven't seen anything else on the planet where it, it it's a community bringing together lots of communities in, in, in a sense yeah. and we're quite lucky that Scotland's the right size for us to be able to do that so um, yeah that, that, that's what we do we we work with some other leading events in, in Scotland as well um, uh, a couple of the main um, expos and um, uh, conferences you know we, we run workshops at them and uh, do panels and things That's pretty so awesome. yeah it's, it's just like super exciting and I'm, I'm really like, you know humbled to kind of work in in cyber in scotland and I, and, and I encourage anybody if they're looking for you know a great part of the world to come and um, study or, or or progress a cyber career that this is one of the best in the world honestly it's not just i'm not just saying that um we have some of the best universities um for ethical hacking uh, and and a, a great and growing uh, cyber community that is because of our size is able to kind of move things on a lot more quickly than oh. other parts of the world. So yeah, that, that's that's kind of what I do really. I was going to say the UK migration just tweeted about this. <laughs> they would be like, "What did he say?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> that's right. Politically, what's happening in the UK? But um, yeah, that's right. Um, oh, well, and. On that high, I want to get into the last section, which is a fun question. It's basically, 
Um, they're not technical questions, and you'll, as I go through them, there are not that many as well. Just a couple of questions, actually two, three questions. Um, what do you spend most time on when you're not working in security? Uh, yeah, I've got two. I've got two little kids, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> m- mainly being run ragged by a toddler. <laughs> um, you'll see behind me. I've got a drum kit and guitars and things. I, if I find if I find time, I love music. I love going to gigs. Um, and you were a DJ as well, right? I used to DJ here. Yeah, I used to DJ a bit. I used to travel a bit and make. So do you still do the deck out sometimes when you get time? No, no, they're they're, they're firmly tucked away for another day. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So um, yeah, that's kind of it's hard to find the time actually. I, um, the day job as well. Like we invest a lot of time in security, don't we? And in, in kind yeah, of reading right. and, and trying to keep on top of things. So that tends that's to keep right. me busy. And cloud especially keeps us really busy when AWS releases 200 updates every event. Like, <laughs> yeah, every event. Yeah. That's right. Um, the next question is, what is something that you're proud of but is not on your socials like LinkedIn or Twitter? What am I proud of? Could be anything. Could be like a good party trick or could be something. <sighs> It doesn't have to be gonna professional. Be, I'm, I'm going to be really boring and say my family, actually. You know, I've, That's I've, not boring. I've, I've had two, two little children and they're awesome. And um, Yeah. I, I suppose my, my career has been a big focus over the last few years. Not, not just I mean, for family, obviously, number one. But you know, I, I'm proud of how I've shaped my, my career and I, and, I, and love doing the community work and being part of that. It's, it's a big effort and, it, and it, it takes a lot of um, personal time to do that. But I'm really proud of what you know what that's become, and I hope it's helped. I hope you know if I've ever helped somebody connect with somebody and get a job, or that the community thing um, helps people upskill. That that I'm, I'm super super proud of that. Um, what else? That's all I can think of really. Off the no, top no, of no that's, that's a good one though, because I think I've been very lucky. I, the, the music thing that I used to do, I I, I loved that, and I, I traveled and I got the chance to go to places that I never thought I would go to, and um, you know made records and. Wait, you had a single out as well? I had tracks played on Radio 1. And over what? Here in well, that should have been your unicorn segment. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, it's just another time, you know. That it, it, I quit when I was 30, so um, you know, I had 13 years of working in that industry and, and, right. um, and having a hell of a lot of fun. And I look back at it now, and I, and I, I did some cool things, and I had a lot of fun. <laughs> and, um but it's funny how life kind of moves on in the, in yeah, the stages. Yeah, yeah. I think so. in different stages of your life at the journey, I guess. Yeah, I'm very boring. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think it's boring, <laughs> but I kind of enjoy that part about knowing you a bit more. The, the final question is probably getting even more uh, personal. What's your favorite cuisine or a restaurant that you go to? Cuisine, definitely. I, I'm a curry person. So um, the one bit I miss about living, uh, not living in London anymore is it's some of the best food. I've ever had has been in London. Um, my two favorite curry houses are in London, uh, really? Tayabs and Lahore Kebab House for anybody who lives in the UK. Oh, um, and Dishoom is, a, is an awesome place in the UK. That oh, does, yeah, uh, it's like a sort of Bombay cafe. Uh, yeah. And Mexican after that, the, um, there's some great Mexican places in the UK. So yeah, Indian, Indian Pakistani food first, Mexican second. Yeah. Nice. They're, 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 they're my go-to. Uh, uh, food outlets like after that you go to potatoes i guess yeah or haggis normal british food <laughs> boring no. bland uh, 
<laughs> no, no, no. You can always add a bit of sauce spice into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, dude, it's been really awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time out. When, um, where can people find you online just quickly? Uh, yeah, so at Stuhurst Infosec on Twitter. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. I try and blog a little bit and put a few things out there. Uh, that's probably the two best places to, to get me, really. Sweet. Oh, dude, thanks again so much. I, I really appreciate you took out the time for this. No, no worries. I'm been sure great to a lot of people got inside as well. And I can't wait to, uh, I guess, share a lot more when we meet in person, hopefully one day at one of the conferences yeah, no, or if I visit Scotland one day. But yeah, thanks do. so much again for your time, man. Really appreciate that. Awesome. Great to speak. Get to speak as well. Thank you for listening to that episode. We're really trying to grow. So if you find that this would be a valuable episode for someone else, please do share the link with them. Do follow or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, or you can listen to the latest episode also on our website, www.kaizentech.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe.